Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors, and you, our listeners, ask the questions. I'm Eliza Rosenberry, and we're going to be talking about an intense book today. So one of my favorites has always been The Lovely Bones. It's the kind of book that is difficult to say I enjoyed, but nevertheless has stuck with me for like half my life since I read it as a teenager. Wow. I've never read that book, but people are always recommending it to me. Yeah. Um, I'm Tavia Kowalczuk. One of the most intense books that I ever read was a memoir called Sharp by this author, Mm. David Fitzpatrick. And I think this is the only book he's ever written. He writes about his 20-year struggle with mental illness and his obsessive cutting. He cut himself for 20 years. Oh, my God. I know. It's really heavy stuff. But the thing that makes this book readable is that it has a beautiful redemption at the end. And I met him, and he is just the sweetest, sweetest man. Oh, wow. It's amazing. It's really difficult to write that kind of book. Before we get started, Tavi and I wanted to give you all a heads up that we're going to be talking about sexual abuse and related issues in the episode today. We thought it was important to put a trigger warning here since this is definitely not a subject for everyone, but we feel it's important to talk honestly about it here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Thanks for doing that, Eliza. You're welcome. On today's show, in the year 2000, Vanessa Y. is a 15-year-old high school sophomore when she begins a relationship with her 42-year-old English teacher. Alternating between the past and the present, the much-anticipated novel My Dark Vanessa raises questions about consent, abuse, and memory, and reflects our shifting cultural norms around relationships. Later in the show, we'll be joined by debut author Kate Elizabeth Russell. And now we present to you My Dark Vanessa, abridged. At age 15, Vanessa Y. is a precocious but isolated teenager at Browick, a private boarding school in Maine. She has a special bond with her 42-year-old English teacher, Jacob Strain, who gives her extra attention, tells her she's brilliant, gives her poetry and special books to read, and ultimately begins a sexual relationship with her. More than 15 years later, Vanessa remains in contact with Strain and has always thought of their relationship as a love affair. But one day, another former student at the school named Taylor Birch publicly accuses Strain of sexually assaulting her. It's the height of the Me Too movement, and Vanessa, who's now 32 and working a dead-end job at a Portland hotel, clings to the idea that Strain was the great star-crossed love of her life. When a journalist contacts Vanessa to corroborate Taylor's story, she's forced to reevaluate her relationship with Strain. But what does it mean to rethink something like that all those years later, and how much damage has been done in the meantime? So, Tavia, what did you think of this book? Wow. That was my first reaction when I read this book. Yeah. The intensity is remarkable. It is unflinching. Yeah. And it really just does not let the reader go. Yeah. It was a page turner, but not in the traditional sense. I was so invested in sort of like teasing apart the knots of Vanessa's complicated, complicated relationship and beliefs about her relationship with Strain. Yeah. There are so many layers to this. I think what's so interesting in this book is that it's told from Vanessa's point of view when she's 15 and and when she's 32. And in from both perspectives, you know, she's sort of wrestling with what this relationship is. And even when she's saying, you know, it's a love story, it's a love story, it's a love story, um, you know, you as the reader are aware that that it's not. You know, but but that distance between those two truths, you know, it's, it doesn't mean that it's not true for Vanessa. 
you know? Absolutely. And I think like sort of watching her journey to to sort of a greater understanding of what that relationship is, I've never really read anything like it before. I completely agree. And that was something else that really struck me is that this book lives in the gray area. Yeah. I felt like part of the story remained deliberately confusing, contradictory, or vague. Mm -hmm. And I think that's to reflect... Vanessa's experience is that she may never really know the truth and yeah. the truth is going to change for her over time. Yeah, definitely. I think um, one thing that struck me when reading this book was the way that these kinds of relationships between older men and younger women or um, more powerful men and less powerful women or or even just a more powerful person and a less powerful person right. are normalized in popular culture and the sort of like the way that teenage girls are sexualized mm-hmm. has become quite normal. And I think it's only in the last couple of years that we've really started to like confront those ideas. Obviously, the novel Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov is like sort of the hallmark of this trope of like the older man and the younger woman or the girl. Um, but it's also present in movies and TV shows and music and in the news. And there's a scene in the book um, when Vanessa's in the car with her dad and he's singing along to the song My Sharona. Oh, yeah. And the lyrics of that song, I mean, I've heard that song a million times and the lyrics of that song are really, it's like a, you know, it's about like getting aroused by a girl yeah. or by a really young woman. And it was like, wait, that's what that song is about? Like, I had no idea. Right, me either. I know. I, I read that passage and all of a sudden I felt really gross. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your your point about um, the gray area and sort of like, what does it mean for someone to define themselves as having experienced abuse or, or having been a victim? And Vanessa is a character who doesn't want to be a victim. Like she doesn't want that to be something that defines her, even though it clearly is something that has affected her life in a very deep way. Um, and I think because it's such a sensitive subject, we as like a society often want like really simple like clear-cut black and white someone's bad someone's a victim you know like those kinds of narratives because it it helps us understand something that's really difficult right um but there are not easy answers in this book and it really challenged my preconceptions about abuse i i agree and one of the things that it challenged for me was this um necessity for survivors to come forward Mm. i think that you know, Kate Elizabeth Russell makes a case in this book that it's not always the best thing mm-hmm. for a survivor to come forward, whether it's in the survivor's best interests or in the best interests of the situation. Yeah. And um, that was eye opening for me to have that other perspective of it. Um, you know, the other thing that I thought that Kate Elizabeth Russell did so well was she wove these many, many signs of trauma in Vanessa's life through the book so that they were that they were normalized. I didn't pick up on them in the beginning. You know, when the drugs that she does and the drinking that she does, it takes a while for me to pick up on it, that it's a problem for her. One thing that I do want to point out again, because we're talking about sort of heavy, heavy stuff here, is is Kate Russell does guide her character towards a gentle redemption in the yeah. end. It's it's she comes to a healing on her own terms. Yeah. And it's you know, 
I don't want to ruin the book for anyone, but in case you're concerned that this is going to be a book that's going to leave you feeling empty and, you know, hopeless, it's not. Mm -hmm. The ending does end on an up note. And for me, it rang very true. It fit yeah. with the character. She wasn't doing anything out of character. You could see the evolution yeah. of her of her slow change of thought. Yeah, and there's signs throughout the book of her, of Vanessa's journey um, to, to healing. And she has some positive interactions with a therapist, which are really important parts of the book. And I think My Dark Vanessa is really powerful. And when you explore something like this in fiction, there's this opportunity to have a lot of conversations that are otherwise really can be really difficult to broach because you don't know how to talk about it. Um, you don't want to offend people or maybe you already have pretty strong convictions about something. So I think it's definitely an intense book, but but a, an important book for book clubs and, and an opportunity for people to have an important conversation. So we really hope that you will let us know what you think of the book. Absolutely. I really hope this one starts a lot of conversation in our community. Yeah, I agree. Normally we do a, do a toast to each other, but I think this time I'd like to do a toast to the survivors. Oh, I love that. Quick reminder, we love hearing from you. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can talk with other book lovers and pose your own questions to authors who appear on our show. You can find us at facebook.com slash groups slash The Book Club Girls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the My Dark Vanessa audiobook, which is narrated by the actress Grace Gummer. She has been on TV shows like Mr. Robot and has also done a lot of acting on Broadway. So this audiobook should be really good. I've heard um, a few samples from it and it sounds amazing. Today, we're joined by Kate Elizabeth Russell, whose debut novel, My Dark Vanessa, is out now. Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, Kate. We are so glad you're here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We know that you spent a really long time writing this book. Can you start by telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So I started working with these characters um, when I was a teenager. Um, and I was always a writer from, you know, really young age, as, as far back as I can remember. Um, so I was always drawn to, to storytelling and, and writing fiction. Um, but I trace the the seed of this novel back to when I first read Lolita at 14. And um, that was, it was a really formative experience for me, both as a 14-year-old girl reading that story and um, realizing maybe for the first time that this was part of the culture that we lived in um, and that men... <clears throat> thought this way and maybe saw girls my age in this way that was sort of revelatory for me um but it also was really a formative reading experience for me as an aspiring writer that was the first one of the first novels at least that I read and I had this feeling of oh my god if I could emulate this style of writing like if I could do this that would be that would be absolutely incredible and so that reading that novel um it opened my mind up as a writer and as 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 a girl um, to the to the culture I was living in, and so that was the origin of of this novel. Um, and then I worked on it. Um, I studied creative writing as an undergraduate, and then went straight into an MFA program, and then eventually got a PhD in creative writing. And I was working on this book um, through through all of those years. 
And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. Right. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> um, so sort of related to that, one of the um, members on our Facebook page, Barbara, wants to know how the Me Too movement affected your writing of the book or, or how you saw it, because it was sort of like at the tail end of your right. writing. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's it's still the most surreal thing how Me Too ended up aligning with this book that I was that I was already writing, um, and I feel like I have to explain the timing of it a little bit. Where so this novel served as my dissertation for my PhD, and I was um, set to defend my dissertation in May 2018. And to be able to do that, I had to turn in a complete draft in, in January of 2018. So in fall 2017, I was in the home stretch of the writing process, coming up against this really hard deadline, working as as hard as I possibly could to get the novel done. And I already had this present-day plotline of another former student um, coming forward to accuse the teacher strain of, of sexual abuse. Um, and so I was finishing up that plot line in October 2017 when the stories about Harvey Weinstein broke. Um, and at first, I didn't really know what to make of that parallel um, because at first the, the stories that broke about Weinstein um, it seemed so focused on him and so focused on Hollywood. Um, and then more stories broke, but it still seemed kind of focused on like the media and, and these worlds that felt very far removed from me and, and this book I was writing and the characters in it. Um, but then as Me Too sort of opened up and became like a cultural conversation rather than just this thing about celebrity, I really realized how my book spoke to this movement and and vice versa. Um, And so, you know, I still struggled with it because it was intimidating, the thought of trying to um, make this book that I've been working on for so many years address this very, very timely thing. You know, I realized that my book was going to be read in the context of of Me Too, no matter what. Um, And I also... chose I guess to believe in myself and that because I've been working on this book for so long I had I had something to contribute and um and it didn't take much revision it was just a matter of really opening up um the context in which the other former student comes forward um in previous drafts it was just her single voice speaking out but um in the final version I made it so there's this context of a larger movement um and that allowed me to engage even more deeply, I think, with these questions of should you come forward or, you know, what's at stake when when someone does. Yeah. And I've heard you say, too, that, um, you know, the fact that the Me Too stuff was happening, you know, you also maybe saw that readers would be maybe more open to Vanessa's voice than they might have otherwise been. Before Me Too, when I was working on this plot line, I felt like I had to potentially explain to readers in one way or another why someone would come forward after so many years had passed. But I feel like after Me Too, we have a better understanding of why that happens. Um, And then even if Vanessa's point of view still seems familiar, which is, you know, uh, someone who doesn't want to come forward at all, um, I felt like with the sort of foundation of Me Too, the readers might um, be more likely to 
um, empathize even with Vanessa. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. One of the things we were talking about earlier was how Me Too has sort of flipped that dynamic where I feel like there's almost this pressure or expectation on survivors to come forward, whereas reading Vanessa's story made me really understand why someone would choose not to. Yeah, it's a difficult thing. I think especially when um, any conversation plays out primarily on social media, it it can easily um, get flattened down and also can become, there's always this question in my mind of at what point does it become entertainment that we're all consuming? And and I felt like that a lot um, in the midst of Me Too when it was like news stories were coming out every day, but then they were replaced the next day with news stories. And, and where does all that pain go? Yeah. So earlier you referenced Lolita. Mm-hmm. And before when Eliza and I were talking, we, we talked about um, the passage in the book where you quote the, the song My Sharona. And I want to thank you for all the literary and pop culture references <laughs> throughout the book. Yeah, I personally enjoyed them. Um, but they were so seamlessly woven into mm-hmm. Vanessa's life. How did you, I, this is a three-part question. <laughs> <laughs> How did you approach including those elements? Did you have a running list or were you doing research as you wrote? And do you have any favorite references with favorite being sort of like an air quotes because they're all sinister? Well, I wanted to include references the primary um, sort of guiding force for me for bringing in those cultural references was I wanted to speak to readers who came of age around the same time I did in the late 90s early 2000s because during my PhD program um, in the sort of ongoing effort to convince everyone in the English department that this novel was a, you know, academically rigorous like piece of work <laughs> and not just a creative project dictated by my own whims. I identified what I saw as this cultural archetype that I called the um, early aughts Lolita complex um, that I argued was this um, cultural trend of Lolita archetypes that that showed up in pop culture at the time. And Britney Spears is probably um, mm-hmm. the best example of that, though there are others like um, Mina Suvari's character in American Beauty is a, is a great example oh, yeah. mm-hmm. of one. And um, Fiona Apple was sort of framed as one early mm-hmm. on in her career. Oh, yeah. um, and a lot of the other pop stars at the time, like... Um, Jessica Simpson and, and Christina Aguilera and, and so on. There's about, you know, 20 years have passed since 2000. And I feel like that's the right amount of time to look back and and sort of see those years with fresh eyes and, and new perspective and maybe the look back with um, a sort of... 2020 feminism that we have now, um, whether that's, you know, however we define that. Um, And so that was why I wanted to bring them in. But then also bringing in literary references um, because they sort of fit the setting, right, of so so much of um, Vanessa's experience happens in classrooms, specifically in English classrooms. And it, it fits Strain's character. Um, to for him to use these um, pieces of literature to legitimize his own abusive behavior. One element in the novel that a lot of readers and like reviewers have commented on is the way that Vanessa tells herself over and over and also tells the story to, you know, in her head of her relationship with Strain as a love story. Um, And 
at the same time, the reader is able to see what's happening and to sort of understand that it's not a love story. But but the way that, I mean, it's amazing that you're able to communicate both those things at once. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you were able to approach giving Vanessa her own perspective um, and asking the reader to still listen to her, even mm-hmm. even well knowing that that she's being manipulated. Yeah, I am. Um... I mean, I saw this as a love story for a long time. That was the the way that I understood it when I was younger up until like my mid-20s, I would say. I I saw this this book, this thing I was working on as a complicated, dark love story. Um, but I understood it to be a love story in the way that I understand like Bronte novels to be love stories or... Um, my understanding of what a love story could be left a lot of room for obsession and, and darkness and even violence. Um, and so I'm I'm grateful for that in a lot of ways because I think having had that experience of viewing this story in that way allowed me to retain that in Vanessa's voice. Um, and so I wanted her voice to be multidimensional um, in the way that you described of the reader um, sort of taking her um, assertions of agency, I guess, um, and and taking those seriously and, and understanding where they're coming from. But at the same time, um, seeing certainly Strain's behavior for what it is and, and also um, Vanessa's defenses for what they are. I thought it was brilliantly done. Thank you. I thought it was incredibly balanced. You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is Kate Elizabeth Russell, whose book, My Dark Vanessa, is out now. You can read more about Kate's book at bookclubgirl.com slash podcast. Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, Kate answers more questions from readers. And later in the show, we ask about her literary white whale. Stick around. This is Tavia. And this is Eliza. And we are here with fellow podcaster and author Leon Dolan. Hi, I'm Leon Dolan, co-host of the Satellite Sisters podcast and author of The Sweeney Sisters, a story of love, books, sisterhood, and surprises we discover in our DNA. I can't wait to be a guest on the Book Club Girl podcast. This episode is brought to you by The Sweeney Sisters by Leon Dolan. Available wherever books are sold. And we love Leanne's podcast, The Satellite Sisters, so definitely check it out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is you're listening to this episode of the Book Club Girl podcast. Welcome back to the show. This episode, we're speaking with Kate Elizabeth Russell, author of the highly anticipated novel, My Dark Vanessa. Kate. (laughs) In every episode of the podcast, we ask an author for their literary white whale, (laughs) the book that they've always wanted to read, but have just never gotten to it or never finished it. Um, So what is your literary white whale? I mean, I got to say Moby Dick. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just because of the the question is phrased. Yeah, it was a little leading. Um, (laughs) But yeah, immediately. And I feel like I've had a lot of friends who have read Moby Dick recently for the first time um, and have like live tweeted it. And it seems (laughs) like a really, really, like, I don't know, sort of enjoyable experience from like that they've had. So yeah, 
I probably won't live tweet it. I'm, yeah. I'm good with Twitter <laughs> right now. But yeah, I would say Moby Dick. Okay. Or Anna Karenina. That's mine. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never read it. Yeah, I really want to read Anna Karenina. So I, I was supposed to read Moby Dick in high school, I think. And um, I just have these nightmares of Scrimshaw. It's, it's just like, <laughs> no, stop carving the whalebone. <laughs> I had to stop reading. Couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I I, think I would enjoy reading a novel that is just like unabashedly like so long. And, you know, there's supposed to be these long passages of just totally unrelated like whale facts and, and yeah. like sh- boat facts and whatnot. I, I, I don't know. That would be nice. So, Kate, you've spent almost 20 years working on My Dark Vanessa. What are you working on now? Yeah, slowly but surely, I think, um, starting something new. Though I'm so superstitious, I'm like, it's not a book, even though it's, you know, will hopefully be a book. But now I'm just referring to it as a project um, where I, I don't have the long stretches of time right now that I really need to to get deep into the writing process. So I'm trying to just get down ideas and not worry so much how they all fit together. Um, but the, the sort of the themes that I'm really interested in right now and that, that I'm trying to work with are about um, creativity and identity and doubling um, and also the internet, um, specifically the internet pre-2004, like pre-Facebook, mm-hmm. um, before everyone was using their real names and, and certainly before it was so heavily monetized like it is now. Um, I think I'm really nostalgic for that internet when it felt a little freer mm-hmm. um, and maybe more conducive to creativity. Um, so, and I, I'm... I'm interested in setting up a challenge for myself of how to um, render digital spaces on the page in, in fiction. That's um, what a, I'm I'm thinking about a lot right now. Um, but yeah, so all these sort of ideas and themes swirling together and trying to trying to figure out how to best translate them into fiction. That's where I'm at right now. So very early stages. Very, Wonderful. very early. Well, yeah. thank you for sharing that. And I can't wait to see how it all comes out. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much for coming on the Book Club Girl podcast. Thank you for having me. It was fantastic. This was great. That was Kate Elizabeth Russell, whose debut novel, My Dark Vanessa, is out now. To find out more about Kate's book and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com slash podcast, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a rating and leave a review. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast, tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. You can always stay in touch with us in between episodes. Tavia and I are both on Instagram, at Tavia Reads and at Eliza is Reading, and of course, at Book Club Girl. You can join in our conversations, too. We'll be heading into the studio to interview Susan Wiggs, author of the Oysterville Sewing Circle, in a few weeks. If you have questions for Susan, post them in the comments on our Book Club Girls Facebook group or call us and leave a message at 212-207-7336. You can also send us an email, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if your question gets asked on the show, we'll send you a free book. The ultimate incentive. I mean, what else do you want? Before we go, a big thank you to Jordan Gosprey, who produced today's episode, and our terrific engineer, Violet Furton. Until next time, I'm Tavia. And I'm Eliza. Happy reading.
Thanksgiving break. Five days of showers that last until the hot water runs out, of scrutinizing myself in front of the full-length mirror on the back of my bedroom door, plucking my eyebrows until mom hides the tweezers, of trying to get the puppy to love me as much as dad. I go for hikes every day, wearing a blaze orange vest as I trek up the granite bluff that looms over the lake. Caves pock the face of it, crevices in the rock big enough for hawks to nest in and animals to hide. Inside the biggest cave is an army-style cot. It's been there as long as I can remember, left behind by some long-ago rock climber. I stare at the cot's metal frame and rotten canvas bed and think of the first day of class when Mr. Strain said he knew Walesback Lake, how he'd been here before. I imagine him finding me now, all alone and deep in the woods. He'd be free to do whatever he wanted with me. No chance of getting caught. In the evenings, I read Lolita in bed, mindlessly eating my way through a sleeve of saltines and propping up a pillow to hide the cover in case my parents open my bedroom door. While wind rattles the window pane, I turn the pages and feel a slow burn within me. Hot coals, deep red embers. It isn't only the plot. It's story of a seemingly ordinary girl who is really a deadly demon in disguise and the man who loves her. It's that he gave it to me. There's now a whole new context to what we're doing. New insight into what he might want from me. What conclusion is there to draw besides the obvious? He is Humbert, and I am Dolores. For Thanksgiving, we go to my grandparents' house in Millinocket. It's unchanged from 1975, with its shag carpet and sunburst clocks. The smell of cigarettes and coffee brandy hanging in the air, even with a turkey in the oven. My grandfather gives me a roll of Necco wafers and a $5 bill. My grandmother asks if I've gained weight. We eat root vegetables and dinner rolls from the store. Lemon meringue pie with browned peaks that dad picks off when nobody's looking. On the drive home, the car lurches over frost heaves and through potholes, an endless wall of pitch black woods on either side. The radio plays hits from the 70s and 80s, dad tapping the steering wheel along to My Sharona, while mom sleeps, her head leaning against the window. Such a dirty mind. I always get it up for the touch of the younger kind. I watch his fingers tap to the beat as the chorus comes around again. Does he even hear what the song is about? What he's humming along to? Get it up for the touch of the younger kind? It's enough to make me crazy, seeing these things that no one else ever seems to notice. <laughs>